0: Section Six of *New Arabian Nights* by Robert Louis Stevenson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Don W. Jenkins. Story of the Young Man in Holy Orders. The Reverend Mister Simon Rawls had distinguished himself in the moral sciences and was more than usually proficient in the study of divinity. His essay on the Christian doctrine of the social obligations obtained for him at the moment of its production a certain celebrity in the university of oxford and it was understood in clerical and learned circles that young mr Rawls had in contemplation a considerable work a folio it was said on the authority of the fathers of the church these attainments these ambitious designs however were far from helping him to any preferment and he was still in conquest of his first curacy when a chance ramble in that part of London, the peaceful and rich aspect of the garden, a desire for solitude and study, and the cheapness of the lodging led him to take up his abode with Mr. Rayburn, the nurseryman of Stock Dove Lane. It was his habit every afternoon, after he had worked seven or eight hours on St. Ambrose or St. Chrysostom, to walk for a while in meditation among the roses, and this was usually one of the most productive moments of his day, but even a sincere appetite for thought and the excitement of grave problems awaiting solution are not always sufficient to preserve the mind of the philosopher against the petty shocks and contacts of the world and when mr rawls found general vandeleur's secretary ragged and bleeding in the company of his landlord when he saw both change color and seek to avoid his questions and above all when the former denied his own identity with the most unmoved assurance he speedily forgot the saints and fathers in the vulgar interest of curiosity i cannot be mistaken thought he that is mr hartley beyond a doubt how comes he in such a pickle why does he deny his name and what can be his business with that black-looking ruffian my landlord as he was thus reflecting another peculiar circumstance attracted his attention the face of mr rayburn appeared at a low window next the door and as chance directed his eyes met those of mr rawls the nurseryman seemed disconcerted and even alarmed and immediately after the blind of the apartment was pulled sharply down this may all be very well reflected mr rawls it may be all excellently well but i confess freely that i do not think so suspicious underhand untruthful fearful of observation i believe upon my soul he thought the pair are plotting some disgraceful action the detective that there is in all of us awoke and became clement in the bosom of mr Rawls, and with a brisk eager step that bore no resemblance to his usual gait he proceeded to make the circuit of the garden when he came to the scene of harry's escalade his eye was at once arrested by a broken rose-bush and marks of trampling on the mould he looked up and saw scratches on the brick, and a rag of trouser floating from a broken bottle. This, then, was the mode of entrance chosen by Mr. Rayburn's particular friend. It was thus that General Vandeleur's secretary came to admire a flower-garden. The young clergyman whistled softly to himself as he stooped to examine the ground. He could make out where Harry had landed from his perilous leap. He recognized the flat foot of Mr. Rayburn, where it had sunk deeply in the soil as he pulled up the secretary by the collar. Nay, on a closer inspection he seemed to distinguish the marks of groping fingers, and as though something had been spilt abroad and eagerly collected. Upon my word, he thought, the thing grows vastly interesting. And just then he caught sight of something almost entirely buried in the earth in an instant he had disinterred a dainty morocco case ornamented and clasped in gilt it had been trodden heavily underfoot and thus escaped the hurried search of mr Rayburn. mr Rawls opened the case and drew a long breath of almost horrified astonishment for there lay before him in a cradle of green velvet a diamond of prodigious magnitude and of the finest water it was of the bigness of a duck's egg beautifully shaped and without a flaw and as the sun shone upon it it gave forth a luster like that of electricity and seemed to burn his hand with a thousand internal fires he knew little of precious stones but the rajah's diamond was a wonder that explained itself a village child if he found it would run screaming for the nearest cottage and a savage would prostrate himself in adoration before so imposing a fetish the beauty of the stone flattered the young clergyman's eyes the thought of its incalculable value overpowered his intellect he knew that what he held in his hand was worth more than many years purchase of an archiepiscopal see that it would build cathedrals more stately than ely or cologne that he who possessed it was set free for ever from the primal curse and might follow his own inclinations without concern or hurry without let or hindrance and as he suddenly turned it, the rays leaped forth again with renewed brilliancy, and seemed to pierce his very heart. Decisive actions are often taken in a moment, and without any conscious deliverance from the rational parts of man. So it was now with Mr. Rawls. He glanced hurriedly around, beheld, like Mr. Rayburn before him, nothing but the sunlit flower-garden, the tall tree-tops, and the house with blinded windows and in a trice he had shut the case thrust it into his pocket and was hastening to his study with the speed of guilt the reverend simon Rawls had stolen the rajah's diamond early in the afternoon the police arrived with harry hartley the nurseryman who was beside himself with terror readily discovered his hoard and the jewels were identified and inventoried in the presence of the secretary as for mr Rawls, he showed himself in a most obliging temper communicated what he knew with freedom and professed regret that he could do no more to help the officers in their duty still he added i suppose your business is nearly at an end by no means replied the man from scotland yard and he narrated the second robbery of which harry had been the immediate victim and gave the young clergyman a description of the more important jewels that were still not found dilating particularly on the rajah's diamond it must be worth a fortune observed mr Rawls. ten fortunes twenty fortunes cried the officer the more it is worth remarked simon shrewdly the more difficult it must be to sell such a thing has a physiognomy not to be disguised and i should fancy a man might as easily negotiate st paul's cathedral oh truly said the officer but if the thief be a man of any intelligence he will cut it into three or four and there will be still enough to make him rich.' "'Thank you,' said the clergyman. "'You cannot imagine how much your conversation interests me.' Whereupon the functionary admitted that they knew many strange things in his profession, and immediately after took his leave. Mr. Rawls regained his apartment. It seemed smaller and barer than usual. The materials for his great work had never presented so little interest, and he looked upon his library with the eye of scorn he took down volume by volume several fathers of the church and glanced them through but they contained nothing to his purpose these old gentlemen thought he are no doubt very valuable writers but they seem to me conspicuously ignorant of life here am i with learning enough to be a bishop and i positively do not know how to dispose of a stolen diamond i glean a hint from a common policeman and with all my folios i cannot so much as put it into execution this inspires me with very low ideas of university training herewith he kicked over his bookshelf and putting on his hat hastened from the house to the club of which he was a member in such a place of mundane resort he hoped to find some man of good counsel and a shrewd experience in life in the reading-room he saw many of the country clergy and an archdeacon There were three journalists and a writer upon the higher metaphysic playing pool, and at dinner only the raff of ordinary club frequenters showed their commonplace and obliterated countenances. None of these, thought Mr. Rawls, would know more on dangerous topics than he knew himself. None of them were fit to give him guidance in his present strait. At length in the smoking-room, up many weary stairs, he hit upon a gentleman of somewhat portly build, and dressed with conspicuous plainness he was smoking a cigar and reading the fortnightly review his face was singularly free from all sign of preoccupation or fatigue and there was something in his air which seemed to invite confidence and to expect submission the more the young clergyman scrutinized his features the more he was convinced that he had fallen on one capable of giving pertinent advice sir said he you will excuse my abruptness but i judge you from your appearance to be pre-eminently a man of the world i have indeed considerable claims to that distinction replied the stranger laying aside his magazine with a look of mingled amusement and surprise i sir continued the curate am a recluse a student a creature of ink-bottles and patristic folios a recent event has brought my folly vividly before my eyes and i desire to instruct myself in life by life he added i do not mean thackeray's novels but the crimes and secret possibilities of our society and the principles of wise conduct among exceptional events i am a patient reader can the thing be learnt in books you put me in a difficulty said the stranger i confess i have no great notion of the use of books except to amuse a railway journey although i believe there are some very exact treatises on astronomy the use of the globes agriculture and the art of making paper flowers upon the less apparent provinces of life i fear you will find nothing truthful yet stay he added have you read gaboriau mr rollas admitted he had never even heard the name you may gather some notions from gaboriau resumed the stranger he is at least suggestive and as he is an author much studied by prince bismarck you will at the worst lose your time in good society sir said the curate I am infinitely obliged by your politeness you have already more than repaid me returned the other how inquired simon by the novelty of your request replied the gentleman and with a polite gesture as though to ask permission he resumed the study of the fortnightly review on his way home mr Rawls purchased a work on precious stones and several of mr gaboriau's novels these last he eagerly skimmed until an advanced hour in the morning But although they introduced him to many new ideas, he could nowhere discover what to do with a stolen diamond. He was annoyed, moreover, to find the information scattered amongst romantic storytelling, instead of soberly set forth after the manner of a manual. And he concluded that, even if the writer had thought much upon these subjects, he was totally lacking in educational method. For the character and attainments of Lecoq, however, he was unable to contain his admiration he was a truly great creature ruminated mr rolls he knew the world as i know paley's evidences there was nothing that he could not carry to a termination with his own hand and against the largest odds heavens he broke out suddenly is not this the lesson must i not learn to cut diamonds for myself it seemed to him as if he had sailed at once out of his perplexities he remembered that he knew a jeweller one b mcculloch in edinburgh who would be glad to put him in the way of the necessary training a few months perhaps a few years of sordid toil and he would be sufficiently expert to divide and sufficiently cunning to dispose with advantage of the rajah's diamond that done he might return to pursue his researches at leisure a wealthy and luxurious student envied and respected by all golden visions attended him through his slumber and he awoke refreshed and light-hearted with the morning sun mr Rayburn's house was on that day to be closed by the police and this afforded a pretext for his departure he cheerfully prepared his baggage transported it to king's cross where he left it in the cloak-room and returned to the club to while away the afternoon and dine if you dine here to-day Rawls observed an acquaintance you may see two of the most remarkable men in england prince florizel of bohemia and old jack vandeleur i have heard of the prince replied mr Rawls. and general vandeleur i have even met in society general vandeleur is an ass returned the other this is his brother john the biggest adventurer the best judge of precious stones and one of the most acute diplomatists in europe have you never heard of his duel with the duc de Dorge? of his exploits and atrocities when he was dictator of paraguay of his dexterity in recovering sir samuel levi's jewellery nor of his services in the indian mutiny services by which the government profited but which the government dared not recognize you make me wonder what we mean by fame or even by infamy for jack Vandeleur has prodigious claims to both run downstairs he continued take a table near them and keep your ears open you will hear some strange talk or i am misled but how shall i know them inquired the clergyman know them cried his friend why the prince is the finest gentleman in europe the only living creature who looks like a king and as for jack vandeleur if you can imagine ulysses at seventy years of age and with a sabre cut across his face you have the man before you know them indeed why you could pick either of them out of a derby day rawls eagerly hurried to the dining-room it was as his friend had asserted it was impossible to mistake the pair in question old john vandeleur was of a remarkable force of body and obviously broken to the most difficult exercises he had neither the carriage of a swordsman nor of a sailor nor yet of one much inured to the saddle but something made up of all these and the result an expression of many different habits and dexterities his features were bold and aquiline his expression arrogant and predatory his whole appearance that of a swift violent unscrupulous man of action and his copious white hair and the deep sabre-cut that traversed his nose and temple added a note of savagery to a head already remarkable and menacing in itself in his companion the prince of bohemia mr Rawls was astonished to recognize the gentleman who had recommended him the study of gaborio doubtless prince florizel who rarely visited the club of which as of most others he was an honorary member had been waiting for john vandeleur when simon accosted him on the previous evening the other diners had modestly retired into the angles of the room and left the distinguished pair in a certain isolation but the young clergyman was unrestrained by any sentiment of awe and marching boldly up took his place at the nearest table the conversation was indeed new to the students ears the ex-dictator of paraguay stated many extraordinary experiences in different quarters of the world and the prince supplied a commentary which to a man of thought was even more interesting than the events themselves two forms of experience were thus brought together and laid before the young clergyman and he did not know which to admire the most the desperate actor or the skilled expert in life the man who spoke boldly of his own deeds and perils or the man who seemed like a god to know all things and to have suffered nothing the manner of each aptly fitted with his part in the discourse the dictator indulged in brutalities alike of speech and gesture his hand opened and shut and fell roughly on the table and his voice was loud and heavy the prince on the other hand seemed the very type of urbane docility and quiet the least movement the least inflection had with him a weightier significance than all the shouts and pantomime of his companion and if ever as most frequently have been the case he described some experience personal to himself it was so aptly dissimulated as to pass unnoticed with the rest at length the talk wandered to the late robberies and the rajah's diamond that diamond would be better in the sea observed prince florizel as a bambouler replied the dictator your highness may imagine my descent i speak on grounds of public policy pursued the prince jewels so valuable should be reserved for the collection of a prince or the treasury of a great nation to hand them about among common sort of men is to set a price on virtue's head and if the rajah of kashgar a prince i understand of great enlightenment desired vengeance upon the men of europe he could hardly have gone more efficaciously about his purpose than by sending us this apple of discord there is no honesty too robust for such a trial i myself who have many duties and many privileges of my own i myself mr vandeleur could scarce handle the intoxicating crystal and be safe as for you who are a diamond hunter by taste and profession i do not believe there is a crime in the calendar you would not perpetrate i do not believe you have a friend in the world whom you would not eagerly betray i do not know if you have a family but if you have i declare you would sacrifice your children and all this for what not to be richer nor to have more comforts or more respect but simply to call this diamond yours for a year or two until you die and now and again to open a safe and look at it as one looks at a picture it is true replied vandeleur i have hunted most things from men and women down to mosquitoes i have dived for coral i have followed both whales and tigers and a diamond is the tallest quarry of the lot it has beauty and worth it alone can properly reward the ardours of the chase at this moment as your highness may fancy i am upon the trail i have a sure knack a wide experience i know every stone of price in my brother's collection as a shepherd knows his sheep and i wish i may die if i do not recover them every one sir thomas vandeleur will have great cause to thank you said the prince i am not so sure returned the dictator with a laugh one of the vandeleurs will thomas or john peter or paul we are all apostles i did not catch your observation said the prince with some disgust at the same moment the waiter informed mr vandeleur that his cab was at the door mr rawls glanced at the clock and saw that he also must be moving and the coincidence struck him sharply and unpleasantly for he desired to see no more of the diamond hunter much study having somewhat shaken the young man's nerves he was in the habit of travelling in the most luxurious manner and for the present journey he had taken a sofa in the sleeping carriage you will be very comfortable said the guard there is no one in your compartment and only one old gentleman in the other end it was close upon the hour and the tickets were being examined when mr rawls beheld his other fellow passenger ushered by several porters into his place certainly there was not another man in the world whom he would not have preferred for it was old john vandeleur the ex-dictator The sleeping-carriages on the great northern line were divided into three compartments, one at each end for travellers, and one in the centre fitted with the conveniences of a lavatory. A door running in grooves separated each of the others from the lavatory, but as there were neither bolts nor locks, the whole suite was practically common ground. When Mr. Rawls had studied his position, he perceived himself without defence. If the dictator chose to pay him a visit in the course of the night, he could do no less than receive it. He had no means of fortification, and lay open to attack as if he had been lying in the fields. This situation caused him some agony of mind. He recalled with alarm the boastful statements of his fellow-traveller across the dining-table, and the professions of immorality which he had heard him offering to the disgusted prince. Some persons, he remembered to have read, are endowed with a singular quickness of perception for the neighborhood of precious metals through the walls even at considerable distances they are said to divine the presence of gold might it not be the same with diamonds he wondered and if so who was more likely to enjoy this transcendental sense than the person who gloried in the appellation of the diamond hunter from such a man he recognized that he had everything to fear and longed eagerly for the arrival of the day in the meantime he neglected no precaution concealed his diamond in the most internal pocket of a system of great-coats and devoutly recommended himself to the care of providence the train pursued its usual even and rapid course and nearly half the journey had been accomplished before slumber began to triumph over uneasiness in the breast of mr Rawls. for some time he resisted its influence but it grew upon him more and more and a little before york he was fain to stretch himself upon one of the couches and suffer his eyes to close and almost at the same instant consciousness deserted the young clergyman his last thought was of his terrifying neighbour when he awoke it was still pitch dark except for the flicker of the veiled lamp and the continual roaring and oscillation testified to the unrelaxed velocity of the train he sat upright in a panic for he had been tormented by the most uneasy dreams It was some seconds before he recovered his self-command, and even after he had resumed a recumbent attitude sleep continued to flee from him, and he lay awake with his brain in a state of violent agitation, and his eyes fixed upon the lavatory floor. He pulled his clerical felt hat over his brow still farther to shield him from the light, and he adopted the usual expedients, such as counting a thousand or banishing thought by which experienced invalids are accustomed to woo the approach of sleep in the case of mr Rawls they proved one and all vain he was harassed by a dozen different anxieties the old man in the other end of the carriage haunted him in the most alarming shapes and in whatever attitude he chose to lie the diamond in his pocket occasioned him a sensible physical distress it burned it was too large it bruised his ribs and there were infinitesimal fractions of a second in which he had half a mind to throw it from the window while he was thus lying a strange incident took place the sliding door into the lavatory stirred a little and then a little more and was finally drawn back for the space of about twenty inches the lamp in the lavatory was unshaded and in the lighted aperture thus disclosed mr rawls could see the head of mr vandeleur in an attitude of deep attention he was conscious that the gaze of the dictator rested intently on his own face and the instinct of self-preservation moved him to hold his breath to refrain from the least movement and keeping his eyes lowered to watch his visitor from underneath the lashes after about a moment the head was withdrawn and the door of the lavatory replaced the dictator had not come to attack but to observe his action was not that of a man threatening another but that of a man who was himself threatened if Mr. Rawls was afraid of him, it appeared that he, in his turn, was not quite easy on the score of Mr. Rawls. He had come it would seem to make sure that his only fellow-traveller was asleep, and when satisfied on that point, he had at once withdrawn. The clergyman leaped to his feet. the extreme terror had given place to a reaction of foolhardy daring. He reflected that the rattle of the flying train concealed all other sounds and determined come what might to return the visit he had just received divesting himself of his cloak which might have interfered with the freedom of his action he entered the lavatory and paused to listen as he had expected there was nothing to be heard above the roar of the train's progress and laying his hand upon the door at the farther side he proceeded cautiously to draw it back for about six inches then he stopped and could not contain an ejaculation of surprise john vandeleur wore a fur travelling cap and lappets to protect his ears and this may have combined with the sound of the express to keep him in ignorance of what was going forward it is certain at least that he did not raise his head but continued without interruption to pursue his strange enjoyment between his feet stood an open hat-box in one hand he held the sleeve of his sealskin greatcoat in the other a formidable knife with which he had just slid up the lining of the sleeve mr rolls had read of persons carrying money in a belt and as he had no acquaintance with any but cricket belts He had never been able rightly to conceive how this was managed. But here was a stranger thing before his eyes, for John Vandeleur, it appeared, carried diamonds in the lining of his sleeve, and even as the young clergyman gazed he could see one glittering brilliant drop after another into the hat-box. He stood riveted to the spot, following this unusual business with his eyes. The diamonds were, for the most part, small and not easily distinguishable, either in shape or fire. Suddenly the dictator appeared to find a difficulty. He employed both hands and stooped over his task, but it was not until after considerable maneuvering that he extricated a large tiara of diamonds from the lining, and held it up for some second's examination before he placed it with the others in the hat-box. The tiara was a ray of light to Mr. Rawls. He immediately recognized it for a part of the treasure stolen from Harry Hartley by the loiterer. There was no room for mistake, it was exactly as the detective had described it there were the ruby stars with a great emerald in the centre there were the interlacing crescents and there were the pear-shaped pendants each a single stone which gave a special value to lady vandeleur's tiara mr Rawls was hugely relieved the dictator was as deeply in the affair as he was neither could tell tales upon the other in the first glow of happiness the clergyman suffered a deep sigh to escape him and as his bosom had become choked and his throat dry during his previous suspense the sigh was followed by a cough mr vandeleur looked up his face contracted with the blackest and most deadly passion his eyes opened widely and his under jaw dropped in an astonishment that was upon the brink of fury by an instinctive movement he had covered the hat box with the coat for half a minute the two men stared upon each other in silence it was not a long interval but it sufficed for mr rawls he was one of those who think swiftly on dangerous occasions he decided on a course of action of a singularly daring nature and although he felt he was setting his life upon the hazard he was the first to break silence i beg your pardon said he the dictator shivered slightly and when he spoke his voice was hoarse what do you want here he asked i take a particular interest in diamonds replied mr rolles with an air of perfect self-possession two connoisseurs should be acquainted i have here a trifle of my own which may perhaps serve for an introduction and so saying he quietly took the case from his pocket showed the rajah's diamond to the dictator for an instant and replaced it in security it was once your brothers he added john vandeleur continued to regard him with a look of almost painful amazement but he neither spoke nor moved i was pleased to observe resumed the young man that we have gems from the same collection the dictator's surprise overpowered him i beg your pardon he said i begin to perceive that i am growing old i am positively not prepared for little incidents like this but set my mind at rest upon one point do my eyes deceive me or are you indeed a parson i am in holy orders answered mr well cried the other as long as i live i will never hear another word against the cloth you flatter me said mr Rolls. pardon me replied vandeleur pardon me young man you are no coward but it still remains to be seen whether you are not the worst of fools perhaps he continued leaning back upon his seat perhaps you would oblige me with a few particulars i must suppose you had some object in the stupefying impudence of your proceedings and i confess i have a curiosity to know it it is very simple replied the clergyman it proceeds from my great inexperience of life i shall be glad to be persuaded answered vandeleur whereupon mr rawls told him the whole story of his connection with the rajah's diamond from the time he found it in rayburn's garden to the time when he left london in the flying scotchman he added a brief sketch of his feelings and thoughts during the journey and concluded in these words when i recognized the tiara i knew we were in the same attitude towards society and this inspired me with a hope which i trust you will say was not ill founded that you might become in some sense my partner in the difficulties and of course the profits of my situation to one of your special knowledge and obviously great experience the negotiation of the diamond would give but little trouble while to me it was a matter of impossibility on the other part i judged that i might lose nearly as much by cutting the diamond and that not improbably with an unskilful hand as might enable me to pay you with proper generosity for your assistance the subject was a delicate one to broach and perhaps i fell short in delicacy but i must ask you to remember that for me the situation was a new one and i was entirely unacquainted with the etiquette in use i believe without vanity that i could have married or baptized you in a very acceptable manner but every man has his own aptitudes and this sort of bargain was not among the list of my accomplishments i do not wish to flatter you replied vandeleur but upon my word you have an unusual disposition for a life of crime you have more accomplishments than you imagine and though i have encountered a number of rogues in different quarters of the world i never met with one so unblushing as yourself cheer up mr Rawls. you are in the right profession at last as for helping you you may command me as you will i have only a day's business in edinburgh on a little matter for my brother and once that is concluded i return to paris where i usually reside if you please you may accompany me thither and before the end of a month i believe i shall have brought your little business to a satisfactory conclusion at this point contrary to all the canons of his art our arabian author breaks off the story of the young man in holy orders I regret and condemn such practices but I must follow my original and refer the reader for the conclusion of Mr. Rawls' adventures to the next number of the cycle the story of the house with the green blinds end of section 6 read by Don W Jenkins rancho san diego california shaggybark.blogspot.com